started. How many of you want to be effective? How many of you want, there's a difference. Effectiveness is an important thing. And, and um, you know, I was just thinking is sort of that little exhortation. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's something on the inside of you. And that's really what this message is about. We're calling it There's More. And there's something that's on the inside. You've been trying to illustrate it, been trying to been trying to get it over to you to, to acknowledge what's on the inside of you because it is so easy. How many of you know it's really easy to get caught up in what's out there? I don't know if you knew it or not, but there's an, an election coming up. <laughs> Woohoo! Hallelujah. And I could offend half of you this morning and make half of you happy this morning. But I'm not going to do that because there's a greater one. And it's really easy. The enemy wants us to focus on stuff that doesn't really matter. We're focusing on all the stuff out there while in our presence and in our midst is the only one who really matters. And the enemy wants to draw you off. He wants to pull you aside. He wants to paint pictures of defeat. He always wants to remind you of the worst version of yourself. I said he wants to remind you of the worst version of yourself because how many of you know you know you better than anybody else knows you except for God? And the enemy loves to paint a picture of who he thinks you are, and unfortunately, we are too quick to believe the picture that he paints of us. And how we see ourselves often is what leads us to our defeat. How we see ourselves often is what leads us in a path that is not productive or effective. And God didn't send his son Jesus to die on the cross to create a weak, ineffective, powerless church. Amen? Amen. But he said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I built. And if the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, can I ask you a question this morning that I know you all know the answer to? Who is the church? We are. We are. I like it better than this. I am. And if the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, then the gates of hell ought not to prevail against me. Amen? Now, I, I know that we usually have a fun, fancy introduction kind of a thing, and I just bull in a china shop this morning just right into Because here's the thing. Time is too short. Time is too short. And, and, and I so much want some things for you. The whole heart of this is there is more. And there is more because he's more. And, and God did not intend for us to just study him academically. He didn't just fill up, you know, a Bible full of stuff so that we could say, oh, there, there's God like two plus two is four. God wants us to experience him. God wants us to know him. And not just know about him and the facts and the figures and all these other things, this great, awesome God. How many of you, well, I won't ask you to raise your hands at this, but just answer this question, yes or no, in your head. How many of you believe in God? And I would say most of you don't. I said, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Can't help it. <laughs> How many of you believe in Jesus? We believe Jesus, man, he's the son of God. He's the, he's the redeemer. He's the life giver. He's the bread. He is the cup. He is Jesus. How many of you believe in the Holy Spirit? <sighs> you guys do not listen well. <laughs> yeah, for, uh, I think we're in the box when that happens. Uh, but, but here's the thing. We, you know, we believe in this great big God who created everything. We believe in Jesus. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's like, I'm not so sure. Who is he? What is he? What's he do? What's his job? What's his function? Is it, it's this, you know, or what, what? That's all we know about the Holy Spirit. Uh, well, here's the thing. And, and this is what last week we were trying to illustrate for you with, with the spirit, soul, and body. 
and, and the chain, how many of you remember the chain? If you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, you need to, because the devil doesn't show up with a chain, he shows up with a choice. And the choice is yours. The choice is yours to make. You can make the choice, but when you repeatedly make that choice, it becomes a habit. And that habit becomes and it becomes automatic in your life. And after a while, it just becomes a part of, of your identity. You can choose to be angry, but when you choose to be angry, often enough, eventually that becomes a habit. And then it becomes a part of your identity. You're not just getting angry. You're just an angry person. You don't, you don't get your feelings hurt. You're just a bitter person. And eventually that becomes a nature, and, and, and that's the, the devil brings a choice, but eventually that choice doesn't say a choice, it becomes a chain in your life. And the wonderful thing is this, you can reverse the curse, and you can choose Jesus, you can choose his ways, you can make some choices that bring you into or closer to God. And after you make that choice repeatedly, and it can be as simple as coming to church. It can be as simple as signing up and, and attending a small group. It can be as simple as, as making a choice to attend growth track. But after a while, that choice will become a habit. And pretty soon it's be like, I'm, I'm setting my schedule. And, and that's the question. Is Jesus something that we are just... Is Jesus something that we're just kind of, you know, we've just added it to our already busy life? Or is he really someone that we're prioritizing our life around? Because eventually that habit will turn into something that becomes automatic. You know, worship is a weird thing for a lot of people that attend this church. I'm not sure what people's perception is of worship. And I want to push you a little bit this morning. Because, because it seems like sometimes we're, oh God, you're big and you're awesome. But I'm not going to raise my hands. I'm not going to worship God. I'm not going to sing out loud. I'm going to sit by myself and be really, really quiet. Why is that? I'm uncomfortable. No, you're more self-conscious than you are God-conscious. Spirit, soul, and body. He redeems our spirit. His life is on the inside of us. We've got to change the way we think. We have a vision problem. We have to change the way we think. And then our body will follow along. But as long as I listen to the voice of my feelings, well, I feel weird. I feel uncomfortable. Again, the enemy will paint the picture. He, he will paint the worst version of who you were or who you think you are to keep you in bondage. But eventually, the choice that you make to worship God will become a habit. And it won't just be when your favorite song is sung on a Sunday. I don't like that song. Tough. <laughs> Get over yourself. Because that habit will eventually become automatic, not just in church. But when you hit the difficult spot of life, it will become a part of you, and it will become automatic, and, and, and worship brings power, and worship brings peace, and worship brings joy, and that will become your identity, so that on Tuesday night, when you get the bad news, the first thing that will come out of your mouth isn't, it's so terrible, I don't know what I'm going to do, instead it's going to be, I serve a mighty God, I serve an awesome God, and he is greater, and he is bigger, and eventually that will become your nature. Now, how many of you want to be effective? All right, then we can start. Philemon chapter 1, verse 6 has been kind of our jumping off point. There's, there's two verses we've been using, and I want to dig a little bit deeper this morning. And that's simply this. In Philemon chapter 1 and verse 6, it says that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Everybody say effective. Your Christianity is not just to be lived on a Sunday morning when you occasionally attend church. And I know that church, I know that, please hear me this morning, and, and, and sometimes that comes across the wrong way. 
I understand life is busy, and, and I, I fully grasp, I think, and I fully understand that the demands on people's time today are different than they were 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. People are busy. Stuff's going on. People are working on Sunday morning. 20 years ago, it used to be there wasn't much going on on Sunday morning. Today, it's not that way. I get it. That's why we do online services. It's why we stream. It's why we archive the messages to keep everybody, try to keep everybody connected. And so when I say those things, I don't mean that you, I, I, actually, I do want you to be in church. Every time the doors are open, trust me, I want that. I just understand that's not always the case for everybody. But if you're making choices to sleep rather than serve God, if you're making choices to, because it's easier or because you had too much of the night before, then you might want to consider making some adjustments, amen? Because those things don't lead to effective Christianity, amen? That the sharing of your faith, that the communicating of your faith, that the living out of your faith would become effective. That word is energized, energeo, that God wants to energize your faith to go beyond a Sunday morning experience. And, and, and for whatever reason, the rest of that verse isn't in there, but it says the, that in the acknowledging of everything that is in you in Christ. How does it become effective? When you acknowledge what's on the inside of you. And it's the voice of our feelings, the voice of our flesh that stop us from acknowledging what's on the inside of us. Whether you realize it or not, you have the greatest capacity to love people greater than your feelings, greater than you can think, greater than you can imagine. You have a, a greater capacity for peace. The capacity for peace on the inside of you is greater than what this world can ever offer. But if you listen to the three major sources of fear and chaos in the world, ABC, CBS, and CNN, if you listen to those constantly, you will be in chaos and you will be in fear. But the Bible says that great peace have they that love thy law and nothing will cause them to stumble. That he will keep you in perfect peace because your mind is stayed on him. It is the battle for what you think. Which is why we've been using Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. And it says, now unto him. Ephesians 3.20. Now glory be to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask, even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, and hopes. And I'll say it again to you this morning. There is more. And there is more because he is more. And what the Apostle Paul was trying to get over to us is a part of a, is a, is a, part of a, 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 a bigger section of Scripture. And I've been cherry-picking that one verse, but I want to dig a little bit. In, in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul is telling us everything that God did for us in Christ. Talks, he, he talked about, you know, he created everything, and before he created everything, he had a plan for you and he had a plan for me. We were predestined to be in Christ. God had a plan. He had a destination for you and a destination for me. And that destination's ultimate end was to be in Christ. And once we got in Christ, then we got everything that Jesus has. We became one with him. He's the vine. We're the branch. And so then Paul begins to work through this. And he gets to the third chapter. And listen to what he says in verse 14. He's, he's sort of summarizing what he's just said in the first couple of chapters. When I think of the wisdom and the scope of this plan, I fall down on my knees and I pray. I pray to the Father 
of the great family of God, some of them already in heaven and some of them down here on earth. And I love that. I love the heart of that. I love the tenderness of that. It is a recognition that there are those that, that, that are in the family of God. God only has one family. Part of the family's in heaven, part of the family's on earth. And there's an implied, and it says it in other places, but there's an implied that there will be a family reunion. And the only thing that separates now is this thin veil between this life and the next life. And he says, this whole family. And then he says, and this is what he's praying, verse 16, that out of his glorious, let's all say the next word out loud, unlimited, that he, out of his glorious unlimited resources, I want you to think about that for a minute because God's resources to you are what? Unlimited. Well, what is it that limits it? Stinking thinking. Rather than acknowledging what God's done in us, we acknowledge what our past is. We acknowledge our weaknesses. We acknowledge our inabilities. We and all of us have weaknesses. All of us have inabilities. All of us in and of ourselves, in our own flesh, we can never measure up. And we will never be able to, to, to really conquer the task at hand, which is bringing the gospel to the world. Unless we embrace the effectiveness that God wants us to have. And so again, he says that out of his glorious unlimited resources, glorious unlimited resources, can I hear it again? There is, I'm sorry, there is more. There's more. It's unlimited. No matter how far you think you've gone, there is, no matter how much strength you think you've used, there's still, no matter how much victory you've experienced, there's still what? No matter how many resources, how much money you need, there's still, no matter how tired you are, there's still more strength, there's still more life, there's still more God. He goes on and, he, and notice this, that out of the glorious unlimited resources, he will give you, not might, not maybe, not if you're good enough, not if you do this, not if you, he said he will, he will. Why? Because he wants you to be effective. He wants his church to be a life-giving church in the world that he will give you the mighty, here it is, the mighty inner strengthening of his Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit want to strengthen you? And where's effectiveness? On the inside. It's an inside job that God wants to bring to you. But when our life is consumed with what we would call the natural, the flesh side, the body side, the feeling side, the analytical side, the logical side, when our life is consumed with that, and face it, we're taught with, that, that's how we're taught, that's how we learn, that, that's what we are most familiar with, and the most difficult part of Christianity is to switch from what I feel and what I think to what does God say? What does God say? What is God's input? What is God's thoughts about this? Verse 17, and I pray, here's Paul praying again, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, on the inside. Living within you as you trust him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And you might want to ask yourself the question, what are my roots in? What am I planted in? Am I planted in my own self-confidence? Am I planted in my own ability? Am I planted in my own strength? Am I planted in my past? Am I planted in, in, in what's wrong? Am I planted in what I can't do? Am I planted in what my grandma, my mom, my dad, somebody else said about me? Is that what I'm planted in? Because whatever you're planted in is what you're going to draw life from. 
Whatever you're planted in, you will draw the resource from that, and you will bear fruit as a result of what you're planted in. It's, it's, it's a spiritual dynamic that happens. But when you're planted in Christ, you will draw strength from the resource of the Spirit of God, and then you will grow and you will produce fruit that brings glory to God. So what are you planted in today? It starts with a choice to be planted in the things of God, and that choice becomes a habit. It's a lot better preaching than what we might think. I hope you're thinking this morning. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And and, and this next verse, it just arrested me. It's a living Bible, and it's a weak translation many times, but but it's very, I I like it because it's so understandable. Verse 18, and may you be able to feel, everybody say feel, and understand as all God's children should. Is there anybody left out in that? We sang the song, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Well, every child of God, every child of God, regardless of whatever has happened in your life, every child of God, may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should. What is it that Paul is praying this. He's, he's passionate about this. And, I, and, and I, I, I sense that and I feel that. I'm passionate about this because I want you to feel and I want you to understand. Again, God doesn't just want to be learned about in in an academic setting, in a classroom setting. He wants to be known. He wants to be understood. But there's a problem with that that we'll get to. And may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. And to experience. Now, To know, to understand, and to experience are foreign things to churches many times. Because we're taught that we're going to come and we're going to hear a nice little message to live a little bit better life and and maybe bring world peace about. That's what we're taught. And we're going to come to church. We're going to sit like little wooden Indians. We're going to hear a nice message. And then we're going to get back in our car. We're going to go watch the Vikings game. That's the most lively we've been. I'm going to have to mention the I'm wearing a purple shirt today in honor of the Vikings. All right, maybe it's not. <laughs> Thought about wearing green just to tick some people off. but <laughs> Notice again that you may be able to feel and understand and experience this love for yourself, though it is so great. Now, here's the problem. God says, I want you to experience. I want you to experience. I, I, I love the illustration of food. I can tell you how good something tastes. But if you've never had it, no matter how I explain it, no matter how I show you, no matter what I, this is why I hate cooking shows. I hate some of those shows because they put it in their mouth and every time it's like, mmm, so good. Oh, you can just, man, my tongue's going to Flavortown right now, you know, kind of a thing. And it's like, <laughs> I'm watching this. It's like, I want to taste it. I want to taste and see how good it is. 
And no matter how much I tell you about it, until you've experienced it, until you have tasted it, and the moment that you taste it, it will transcend the word's ability to be able to describe it to you. And that's how God is. I can tell you how good God is. I can tell you how loving and merciful and gracious that God is. But until you understand and experience that love, and that experience will transcend every thought and every feeling, and you will go from thinking you know to I know in whom I have have believed, and I'm persuaded now that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day, because greater is he, glory to God, and I've just experienced the greatness, the vastness of who God is, to experience (laughs) this love for yourself, though it is so great that you will never see the end of it, or fully know it, or understand it. Now, here's the thing. Paul is, I think, frustrated here. I've just told you all these wonderful things that God has done and he's doing, and he's bringing it to you, and it's on the inside of you. And I want you to know the length and the depth and the breadth and the height. I want you to experience. I want you to have it. But here's the problem. You'll never be able to get to the end of it. You'll never be able to fully know it. You'll never be able to fully experience it. Why? Because there's more. No matter how much, there's still more. Why? Because no matter how much, God is still more. There's still, he is still bigger. He is still vast. He is still infinite. And so Paul says, I want you to know this, and I want you to experience, but, but, but you have a, a, a limitation, and you can't fully experience, and you can't fully know it. And he finishes with this, and so at last, you will be filled up with God himself. Man, I so want that for me. I hope you want it for you. Wouldn't it be awesome if just one or two or three of us would just, we would respond to God because we would respond like God to the circumstances of life because we're so filled with God? That when somebody says something bad about us, rather than jump flying off the handle and firing back some words out of mouth, we respond with words of peace and life. We respond with forgiveness and we respond with love. Why? Because we're responding like God is. Why? Because we're full of God. Because we've known him, we've, we, we've experienced his grace. We've experienced his grace, and because we've experienced his grace, we can now give that grace to others. Because something was experienced that we experienced something that was fully needed. Now, Paul finishes with this. Now, verse 20, glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do, able to do, able to do far more. He's able to do far more. He's able to do far more. He's able to do far more. I said he's able to do far more. He's able to do far more. He's able to do far more. Far more. Far more than you, what? Far more than we would ever dare to ask. And that's a limitation right there. I'm kind of afraid to expect. I'm kind of afraid to ask. I'm kind of afraid to step out. I'm kind of afraid to hope. Because I just don't know. And I'll tell you this. You will never know until you experience. But you'll never experience until you drop some barriers. So you'll never know until you experience, but you'll never experience until you drop some barriers. And part of that is by you acknowledging the inside work that God has done rather than acknowledging the outside. we got to fight through some stuff, church, up here. 
us individual believers, we need to fight through some of the restrictions from the past. Some of the restrictions from our upbringing. I hear this from people. How do I hear the voice of God? How do I know what God is saying? How, God's, God is so much bigger than you and I are. His understanding is so much more vast than what we could ever understand. And every human description falls far, far short of the greatness and the majesty, the love, the grace, and the power of our God. And so Paul is saying, I'm praying that you experience it. Like somebody said, it's better felt than telt. So again, he says, far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. You know who limits your prayer life? You do. You know what limits your abilities and God's ability to do miracles in your life? We do. Because we've been afraid to dare. We've been afraid to hope. We've been afraid to move beyond the limitations. of. And our first thought is, well, that could never happen. Or if the, and we get out of order, well, if this would happen, this would happen, this would happen, then that would happen. Why are you trying to play chess with God? Why are you trying to f- connect dots that aren't there? And unless this happens or this happens, then maybe I'll believe that that would happen. And I think what we have in the church is we have a sight problem. And, and, and this is my prayer this morning, that we would remove the blinders. And there's a quote, Helen Keller was asked, what could be worse than being blinded? She said, to have sight but not have vision. To have sight but not have vision. And there's a lot of believers, there's a lot of Christians, you love God, you're saved, you're born again, when you die you're going to go to heaven, but you have no vision. You've never experienced the fullness of God. And partly Paul says you can't experience because it's too big. And so we need help. We need the help of the Holy Spirit in our life. I asked the question earlier, how many we believe God, we believe in Jesus, but we're sometimes a little bit uncertain about this whole Holy Spirit. What's he do? What's his job? What's his function? And some, you know, we, you know I used to hear this from the, the I, I was raised in a Pentecostal denomination, and, and that's been my, my background and my upbringing, and I would hear this a lot. You people just, you know, usually it was pointed at, at other denominations. You need to get God out of your box. And one day I was thinking about that, and I realized the only reason people say that is because they have God in a box. And your box is different than my box. How many of you know God's bigger than your box? It doesn't matter if it's a charismatic box, a Baptist box, a Catholic box, a Lutheran box. It doesn't really matter what box it is. God's still bigger because he's more. And God can work in a Catholic church, a Baptist church, a Lutheran church, an independent church, a non-denominator. He will work in people who let him work in him. Amen? And so God says, I want to pour out my spirit. Acts chapter 2, if I had more time, I, I, I would go through this maybe a little bit more. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the early church. Cloven tongues like as fire sat on their head there in the upper room praying. They're worshiping God. Woohoo! And God is about to break their box. There's 120 of them up there, and God's spirit descends on them, falls on them. It's it's powerful. And they began to speak in a language they didn't know. And the people in the streets who were there celebrating for the the feast of Pentecost, they began to hear these people praising God in their own languages, in their own tongues. They said, what is going on here? These people are drunk. They're drunk. And Peter stood up. 
And he began to explain what was going on. He said, men, people of Israel, these people aren't drunk like you think because it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Later in the day might be the case, but not right now. Most of the time, people aren't drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. And then he says in verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Joel is an Old Testament prophet. And he says, this was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Pour out my spirit on everybody. That's foreign to them because God would only pour out his spirit on the apostle. I'm sorry. He would only pour out his spirit in the old covenant, in the old testament, on the prophet, the priest, and the king. But now God says, I want to do something new. And this isn't just reserved for special people. I'm going to pour, I'm going to do something so cool, so unique, so big. I'm going to pour my spirit out on all people, on all people, on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Everybody say prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. Both men and women. This is, this is, this is not popular because in that day, in that culture, women weren't really <laughs> expected to do much of anything as it, came, as it related to anything that would be considered the spiritual carrying out, the duties of, the, of an organized religion. And now God says that not only is it going to be on the slaves, not only is it going to be on children, but it's going to be on sons and daughters, even on my servants. Not just for the, the hierarchy, not just for the high and mighty, but every single man, every single woman, every single child. I want to pour out my spirit on every single person. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Let me just wrap this up very quickly for you today. God's way bigger than you and I can think. He's bigger than we can really even experience. God's language, God's ability to put things into us or show us things is greater than our ability to really vocalize or verbalize. Somebody said it like this, that, that prophecy, well, let me just back up, prophecy, visions, and dreams. Now, when I say those three words, I know that it conjures up all kinds of weird thoughts in your thinking. And I want to try to make this as simple to you. And, and I don't want it to be scary because sometimes I think there are segments of this church, they've heard of, not this church, of the church, capital C, big church, capital C, big church. We love it. Um, <clears throat> capital C church. The Bible defines what the Holy Spirit's job is, but we've sort of misaligned it. We've sort of just, we've sort of taken it to an extreme. We've built a box around it. We've built movements around just one small section of it. But God says, I want the Holy Spirit to be a dynamic in the life of my church, and I want to show them things that they would not be able to see. Prophecy, dreams, and visions generally relate to things that have not yet happened. And God wants to show you some stuff about your life. He wants to show you some stuff about your family. He wants to show you some stuff about your career. He wants to show you some stuff about the future of your life. But unfortunately, we, we're so much in a chaotic life, and we're just bouncing, and we're running, and we're going, and we're not paying any attention to what's going on, and we're just trying to make it through another day. And God says, if you just slow down enough, the job of the Holy Spirit is to show you some things that my words, that, that my ability to speak to you would not be able, you would not be able to comprehend it. 
I, I like to say that God will lead with impressions. Sometimes God will just show you a picture. That's why Habakkuk says, write the vision, make it plain. When you see something, write it down. Now, I know that for some of you, this is foreign to you, and, 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 and others, we already have preconceived ideas about what we're talking about. And, and, and because of time, let me make sure I hit some of these. All right. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 8, verse 22. A lot of times the stories that are in the Bible, there's a dual meaning. It's something that actually happened, but we can learn some things and make a spiritual application to our life. And in Mark chapter 8, it's a story of a blind man Jesus heals. <clears throat> and it says, when they arrived at Bethsaida, uh, some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch and heal him. Seems like a, a reasonable thing. This guy's blind. Jesus is known as a healer. But there's something for us to learn in this as well. Maybe you don't have physical blindness, but there are a lot of people who they have sight, like Helen Keller talked about, but they don't really see. Good people, people that are born again, going to heaven, but we don't see. And notice what happened. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. That seems odd. Why would you take him out of the place that he's been living at? Because God wants to take you out of where you are right now. And there are things that are around you and things that you're planted in. There's things that, that are a part of your life that unless you move beyond that, you will always stay there. It could be negative people. It could be people that, 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 that are always, well, God can't do that. God won't do that, that. You know, others who will laugh and mock at God. Jesus took him by the hand, and I love that. Not forcing him, not yelling at him, not mad at him. Here, follow me. Follow me. Just follow me. Let's go over here for a minute. Let's get to a place that's quiet. Let's get to a place that there's not the chaos, that there's not the confusion. Jesus took the blind man by the hand. He led him out of the village. <laughs> and then it gets weird. And this is what we're so afraid of. Here's Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. says he made mud out of the spit and the dirt. And if you go, you're not going to get much mud for one eye, let alone two eyes. Now, that's just my personal opinion. I can't prove it, but you can't disprove it either. <clears throat> and when we get to heaven, we'll ask God to put this on his DVD player or whatever it is and show us what happened here. And I think that Jesus is going to go... But how many of us are like that? We're like, oh, man, I'm going to invite my friend to church, but I don't want anything weird to happen. <laughs> we want nice, clean, easy, understandable miracles. But if you don't want the mess, sometimes you're not going to get the miracle. And I understand that that maybe is weird to you. And there are things today that I think the Spirit of God wants to say, things the Spirit of God wants to do, and they're weird to us. And so we naturally recoil. We naturally... Move away from that because we don't want that to be a part <clears throat> of our experience with God. Spat on his eyes. He laid his hands over them. And again, if we don't want the mess, sometimes we're not going to get the miracle. But we always want it nice and we want it easy. And we want to understand. We want, we want everything to make sense. God, I will follow you. Jesus, I'll do what you want me to do. Wait, growth track? I don't do growth track. Why do I got to do growth track? I don't have time for growth track. Jesus, I love you and I'll serve you and I'll fall. 
water baptism. <clears throat> I'm not going to go get wet in front of it. That's embarrassing. I'm going to be all wet. You know, it all sounds so good. Jesus, I just want, Jesus, just speak to me. All right, I'll speak to you. I want you to be generous. Wait a minute, Jesus, speak to the other person. <laughs> it's all fun and games until it's not. So is Jesus somebody that we invite to our life to be in charge of our life, to rule in our life? Or is he somebody that we're just adding to an already busy schedule and I got time for this, this, and this, and I'll carve out just, you know, Jesus, whatever's left over, you can have that. He goes on and he says, he spat on his eyes, he laid his hands over them, and he asked him this question, can you see anything now? Which is kind of interesting to me. What do you see? Which is my question to you this morning, what do you see? What did you used to dare to ask? You're not daring to ask anymore, or you just can't even, you, you, you just don't even want to dare to ask. You just don't think that God could ever do something that big for you. Can you see anything now? Jesus asked him. The man looked around. Yes. We were, Yoo-hoo! Yes, he said. I see men, but I can't see them very clearly because I got mud and spit in my eye. No, I can't see them very clearly. They look like tree trunks walking around. Somebody else asked this question. I thought it was kind of an interesting observation. How would he know what trees and tree trunks look like if he'd never seen one before? Which means that perhaps this person had sight at one time, but he didn't have it or doesn't have it anymore. And I think that would speak to a lot of us that used to have sight. There used to be passion. There used to be vision. There used to be dreaming. There used to be hopes, and there isn't anymore. So what did Jesus do? Then Jesus placed his hands over the man's eyes again, a second time. He used to have sight. And he could see a little, and, and, and tree trunk sight, that's a little bit better than no sight. But there's more. God wants you to see clearly. He wants you to see things the way he sees things. And, and, and he can't verbalize it because our, our, we can't comprehend it. And so he wants to give us glimpses. He wants to give us impressions. He wants to, but how does that happen? I'll finish this. He, he goes, as the man stared intently, as the man stared intently, intently, his sight... His sight was completely restored, and he saw everything clearly drinking in the sights around him. How does that happen? He began to stare intently. Jesus touched him again. And as he stared, as he spent time there, as he waited there, things began to emerge. We're in too much of a hurry. Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says, call to me. He says, God, just call to me, and I will answer call to me and I will answer call to me I will answer I will answer forget about it and and, and thank God for teachers that bring these things that you know five steps to answer prayer and ten steps to this and seven steps to that and six steps when the other steps didn't work and all those other things but God is not as concerned about those steps as you just coming to him as you from a heart of sincerity and humility. God, I need you. I'm calling out to you because I believe there's more. There's just something unsettled on the inside of me. I cannot believe that this is all that there is. I am calling out to you, and God says, I will answer you. And how will I answer you? I'm going to show you something. 
I'm going to affect the part of your being that has to do with sight and seeing and vision because that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's how the Holy Spirit does the teaching, if you will. He shows us things to come. He says, I'll show you great and mighty things, great and mighty things that you do not presently know. That's God. That's what God says. So I'm asking you to bow your heads this morning, close your eyes. I know this is preaching kind of longer than what we sometimes do around here, and I don't apologize for that. Hallelujah. Yeah, there's more. Trust me, there is more. (laughs) But this is enough. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning, Lord Jesus. And Father, if there are those who are here this morning who sense on the inside that this can't be all that there is, that I was designed and created for more than this, and somehow along my journey and along my path, life got in the way, job, career, kids, family, spouse, girlfriends, boyfriends, uh, debt, whatever it is, it got in the way, and I've lost my sight, I've lost my way, I've lost my vision, I've lost my passion. I'm here to tell you this morning, there's more, there's more, there's more. God wants to breathe on you. He wants to show you things that you can't even comprehend, and he's saying, just call to me, just come to me. Just spend some time with me. I am the author of your faith, and I will finish it in you. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if you're here today, and you said, Pastor Brian, I, I, I want to take that first step. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. If that's you today, say, I, I, I'm going to be a follower of Christ, and, and I'm going to give my life to him, and, and I believe, Jesus, that you're going to create something new in me. Bible says if we, unless we're born again, we cannot see the kingdom of heaven. If you want a new life, a new start on the inside of you, and you've never experienced that before, would you just lift your hand because I want to pray with you. Just say, Pastor Ryan, I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Yeah, go ahead, raise your, don't be afraid. This is a bold thing. Thank you for those hands. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else this morning? Just hold it up real high just for a second. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Pray this with me. Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus, I believe today, Jesus, that you died for me. And I confess this morning, you're my Savior. I believe today, greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. And Jesus, I ask you, pour out your Holy Spirit on me today. I want to see what you see. I want to see the way you see. And I want to experience your length, your breadth, your depth, and your height. Because I want to know you in Jesus' name. Amen.